As I begin today, I let you know that I changed this podcast before I even began, which, as you will see, is really sticking with today's theme. We quote scripture, we talk about resurrection, I try to describe the continent of Africa, and I fail. And I tell you why you can be afraid or celebrate, you choose, all on the way to answering the question, is this too scary to talk about? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. Okay, so I will admit that I began to work on this podcast with a different working title, and then I realized that this topic, well, it may be too terrifying for some people to hear. We're going to be talking about the idea of humanity, our souls, the afterlife. And so here's a synopsis of what is popularly believed. Many, many people who are Christian, and I'm speaking from a Christian perspective now, many, many people who are Christian believe this. We are human. Dwelling within us in some way, shape, or form is our soul. It is our spiritual essence that, though it is connected to our physical body, is not bound to it for eternity. So when we die, our soul is, in essence, untethered. We are now free to go as an untethered soul to heaven, or depending on your belief system, maybe go someplace else less pleasant. Ooh, that is scary. Yeah, that's not the scary part. Oh. But what I have just described has not always been the understanding. In ancient Judaism, there was a very different understanding. In the older texts of the Old Testament, the place of the dead was called Sheol, or Sheol, depending on how you want to pronounce that word. This is the place where everyone is sent after death. Good, bad, it doesn't matter. Everyone goes there in this part of the Old Testament. It's the dark place, kind of shadowy place, where not much happens. The book of Psalms says this about it. For in death there is no remembrance of you in Sheol. Who can give you praise? The book of Ecclesiastes gives a rather bleak outlook on what happens when we die in this place of Sheol. For the fate of humans and the fate of animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and humans have no advantage over the animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust. All turn to dust. So clearly that's the scary part, because that's pretty bleak. No, not yet. Just be patient. We will get there. Now, this is not our current understanding of our souls and what happens to them, but we don't find this particularly upsetting because, well, I as a Christian will admit to a kind of smug belief that we have more accurate, more recent information. Jesus came along and taught something different, didn't he? Now, here's one of those places where the culture into which Jesus was born and the teachings of Jesus, well, it all gets really interesting. By the time Jesus came along, there was a growing belief already in Judaism in the resurrection, but not at all like we understand that word. When we look back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, and read the story of humanity, it says that God took dust, formed it into a human, and then literally breathed life into it. 
Genesis 2-7 says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, what is important here is that humanity is just dust without the breath, the Spirit of God which animates us. And once animated, we are a single thing. We are not like a balloon with the breath inside, but the balloon is something separate. We're not a body and a spirit. We are a single living entity according to old Judaism and its understanding. At the time Jesus came along, there wasn't a belief that the Spirit continued past the body. When one died, they both died. Period. No exception. Ah, so that's the scary part. <sighs> no, not yet. When the first century world of Jesus talked of resurrection, they understood it as something that would happen at a future date. At some point in the future, God would bring everyone who had died back to life. Every single person. Now, this is the interesting part, good or bad. And then on that day, when everyone was brought back, there would be a day of reckoning. The good would get their reward. The bad would receive their punishment. Oh, and this understanding of resurrection does not mean that we are being taken to heaven. It means your body would be restored and given life again on earth. It was into this understanding that Jesus came along and much of his teaching was understood by the disciples to be within this context, this way of understanding resurrection. So when Paul had his conversion experience, he also was living with this same understanding. Paul, like many early Christians, believed that the day of reckoning, this time of reawakening, was going to happen soon, really soon, as in before he died. And even the Bible has Jesus say something like this in Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly, I tell you, there will be some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Okay, so this passage I just read is one of the more problematic passage for scholars and for Christians. Because as more and more time elapsed following Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and more and more followers of Jesus died, it caused a bit of a crisis for some in the early church. Had they remembered this correctly? Did Jesus say this, or is this a misquote of him by his followers? We don't know. But what we do know is this idea of resurrection, meaning the reanimation of our physical bodies here on earth, was consistent with what was being talked about at the time of Jesus in Judaism. And it is in the teachings of Paul that we begin to see a change. Initially, Paul expects Jesus, as all of the Christian followers did at that time, to return and the dead to be raised within his own lifetime. But as Paul lives longer and longer, he realizes that may not be the case. It seems that his own theology of the afterlife, heaven, and resurrection begin to change. He begins to believe that each person is very much like the idea that was put forth centuries before by Plato. Now, some say Plato invented this idea. He didn't. But he can certainly be credited with making this popular in Greek culture. That's the idea that the soul is something that dwells within the physical being of a person, but has a separate and distinct life and timeline. The body is ephemeral. The soul is not. It is eternal. It is this duality of body and spirit that we borrowed, seemingly, from Greek culture. 
So it seems that as Christianity began to reconcile the teachings of Jesus with the long-term timeline that was becoming clear was to be the reality, it adopted some of the more Greek notions of soul and afterlife. Rather than dying, ceasing to exist, and then being raised, recreated by God for the final judgment, we began to be convinced that when someone dies, their soul goes on to heaven on its own, or depending on your belief system, their soul was judged at death rather than at a later date. Now, if you were really up on Christian theology, you might ask, wait, many Christians believe in a bodily resurrection even today. How does that fit in here? You talk as if that's not really even a part of the belief system. And you would be correct. Some Christians believe the resurrection of the body to be central to Christian belief. Some? Some? Have you read the Apostles' Creed? Okay, so that's fair. It is generally believed that the Apostles' Creed is the most ancient of Christian creeds and was used as a baptismal creed for initiating new members. And one portion of the Apostles' Creed says this, I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Now, I will say this. First, I don't think this is really a central belief for most Christians. I'm not talking about theologians or denominations. I'm talking about regular people who self-identify as Christian. Second, I sat in a group of clergy some years ago, and this subject of the bodily resurrection came up, and we began to debate it. Actually, we began to each offer their take on the resurrection of the body. And the truth is, we got as many views as there were people in the room. Okay, so I'm confused now. What's, what is the scary part? Well, here it is. I'm going to give you the prevailing timeline that is popular and that people would like to believe. Here it is. There was one understanding of God, humanity, and the universe that was central to early Judaism. Then Jesus came along. He took what was good, corrected what was in error, and set humanity on a new course-corrected, unchanging theological journey, which we now follow today. In other words, Jesus may have changed some things, but most of us want to believe we took his teachings and have followed them unchanged since his resurrection. When we talk about a timeline of change, such as I have, it can be very scary for some of us. It can feel like suddenly we are set adrift without anything solid to anchor ourselves. It feels like when we are talking about life, death, and God, we ought to have a single unchanging truth to hold on to. Look, when I was growing up, I had to study geography, and I learned at some point about the continent of Africa. What I knew of Africa came from those brief lessons I learned in school, and I kind of took the few things that I knew, lumped them all together, and spread them out across the entire continent, and believed that I understood what Africa was about. Later in my adulthood, I visited for the purpose of going on safari in Kenya. It was amazing, and for the first time in my life, I go, hmm, maybe I didn't know everything about Africa. I began to capture what I thought was a real glimpse of what Africa was about. A couple of years later, I traveled with a church group to Tanzania on a different trip, and we visited small villages as we accompanied a local bishop making his visitations of churches and congregations. Now, here's my rather obvious lesson for my journey and learning. It is natural for my understanding of Africa to grow, develop, and even change as I have more life experience and interaction with that place. It would also be stupidly arrogant of me to assume that I could ever know enough 
To claim to definitively know or fully describe something as vast, complex, and diverse as the entire continent of Africa. There is something terrifying in this for some of us. Terrifying to think about the idea that our understanding of God is changing. Because why can't God be something solid, stable, and knowable? I think we can come to grips with this idea by, first of all, quoting the singer-songwriter Meatloaf, in which he sang, Two out of three ain't bad. And I think, though we long for God to be solid, stable, and knowable, I think we can depend upon the fact that God is indeed solid and stable, just not fully knowable, and certainly not capable of being fully articulated through our limited language. Now, this is scary. No, it's beyond scary. It is world-shaking for many of us when we first encounter it. Some will even just reject it and revert to the idea that they're, well, that they're more comfortable with understanding God as being solid, stable, and knowable, that they can define God in their limited language, and they're going to stick with that definition because it feels safe and comfortable. But if you will allow yourself a moment to process this, then there's some really good news here. If we can't fully know or describe something that is actually finite, like Africa, then we can't ever contain, understand, and fully know something that is infinite, as in God. Which is a good thing, because it takes you out of the role of trying to make sure you have discovered the exact right words and formula. It releases you to be something that is really well, it's really quite exciting. You are free to be a holy discoverer, ever encountering God, ever encountering the divine in new ways, and then changing your understanding of who God is in relation to what you've learned. The world of a believer is not one where you reach a conclusion and then retire from thought, like someone who's maybe earned a merit badge and moved on. The world of a believer is like the world of a spiritual traveler seeking new horizons on your journey of life, and then adapting your view to incorporate what you've learned about God along the way. That's all for today. Be sure to check and see if you have subscribed to this podcast so you get notified of future episodes. Also, you can find me on Facebook and YouTube. Just search for SkyPilot FaithQuest. And on your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for listening to Sky Pilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions. <laughs>